Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything. Kids, health, aged parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello, jugglers, and welcome to another episode. I'm so excited to welcome my guest today, Snack Dating App founder and CEO, Kim Kaplan. Kim was inspired to create this app in March of 2020, and by September, she had secured $3.5 million in pre-seed funding. The app launched just over five months ago, and it's already got its first successful couple, and it is growing. Kim is here today to talk about the inspiration, the journey, and what the future holds. Welcome, Kim. Okay, welcome, Kim. It's so nice to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. I understand you're here from a hotel room at Sunset Boulevard today. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> for sure, that's awesome. So I'm just going to just jump right in there with some questions. But for listeners like me that have like been married for 22 years and virtual dating did not even exist at that time, the app is called Snack, I believe. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about it and how it's how it works and what the idea is behind it for those of us that are a little bit more technology challenged. So Snack is a video first dating app. And what that means is it's combining the best of TikTok and dating. So when you think about TikTok, it's really short form videos there. You express yourself in different ways, whether that's through humor or by showing off your hiking skills or your cooking skills. You could have it runs the gamut and what we really believe video does is provides a little bit more authenticity for someone. If you think about the static dating profiles that exist today, you upload a few images of yourself, you write a paragraph, and you never really change. Whereas social is much more about consuming information consistently about somebody and engaging with it over time. And so we really wanted to replicate that in Snack and the kind of some of that social component. And so what we do is we have the same mechanisms that a Tinder or Bumble would, where both parties have to like each other before they're able to match and message with each other. But instead of turning you over to a messaging screen and saying, okay, you go figure it out now. What we do is we actually show you the videos that person continues to upload. So they keep showing up in your feed. And instead of a like button, there's a DM box. So you can message them directly from that video. Okay. Okay. So first of all, you're narrowing it down to whoever's profile appeals to you. And it's not a 20 year old photo because it's a current video, obviously, or it's a video you see. These videos didn't exist a year or two ago. So it has to be current. Yeah, exactly. And then from there, then they're like, yeah, this person's on my list. And then they'll start to feed into your feed. So you don't actually have to even contact them right away. You can just start to be in the loop of what exactly. they're and what's going on and get like the pulse for, do I like this guy? Do I not sure? Oh yeah, he does like dogs after all. Or yeah. Exactly. And then they upload that video of your dog and you're like, that's such a cute dog. What type of dog is it? And it gives you that more natural jumping off point to start the conversation because it's based off of some information they're giving you, which is that video of their dog. And that's how relationships normally would organically start is with those little conversation starters, not just, hey, I like your profile picture, your Libra. I go on a date and it's whose responsibility is to, okay, do we, where do we go? What do we do? And there's a lot more pressure to that moment Yeah, totally. versus this is a lot more kind of covert and slow and getting to know each other a little bit more 
like you said, as you would normally would in real life. Yeah, that's the way that things happen. A couple decades ago, you'd meet someone in one place and they might tickle your interest and then you'd see them again somewhere else with, oh yeah. And, and then it just all starts to flow together. They've got that opportunity to do that. That's amazing. That's super fun. And so then they can private message each other at that point. Do they get phone numbers at some point or it's what point do you release those private, more private side? We don't release. Not? You don't. They make that decision to share that information with each other. Exactly. And you can pick when is that right moment, whether you have already had a video call with each other and got to know each other a little bit more, or you said after exchanging a few messages, you want to meet in person. Obviously, from a safety perspective, you don't want to give your number out to everybody. And you want to make sure you're meeting someone in public places, at restaurants, cafes, and not in a private setting. I think those moments of where you're willing to exchange that information, you need to be really cautious about that and being picky about who do you want to get in touch with. Good point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and I digressed here because I had a bunch of other questions I was going to ask before I got to that. But uh, don't worry. I got a little too excited. And so obviously that is the question, what makes it different from other dating apps? But it's that interactiveness, that ability to just really dial in on what that person's about and actually even observe it for a while and then have that jumping off point at at so many different places, right? Depending on which um, video you saw or what caught your eye. Exactly. If you think, and you think about Instagram as an example, you connect with someone new on Instagram, all of a sudden you scroll through every single image they've had to see what they've done and get to know them a little bit better. Yeah. So it might be that you match and immediately have a piece of content that you want to engage with and start the conversation, yeah. or it might take some time and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. And now what was your light bulb moment? Like how did this come about for you? Cause obviously it's different than anything else that's out on the dating marketplace. And now thinking about it, I'm like, why did it even take so long? Cause it seems so obvious now, but obviously it wasn't there a couple of years ago. So like, what was the, how, what facilitated it? How did this come about? My light bulb moment was I started using TikTok and one day I came across this woman's profile and she's saying, what's your name? What's your age? What's your sign? Where are you from? And I realized that she was trying to use TikTok to date. Yeah. And the aha moment was really dating apps have tried to put video into dating for a long time. And what it just ended up being was this kind of slideshow of images. And what fundamentally changed over the last number of years is TikTok taught people how to create compelling 15 and 30 second videos about themselves. That didn't exist before. You didn't have the music and the sound and the effects and the editing tool suites that we do today. So now all of a sudden you have a generation that's grown up with video first because Snap was their primary platform they were using or Insta Stories. Now TikTok and dating is that next progression where a video first profile makes sense. Yeah. And it's almost like video is one of your first languages. That's a metaphor, but like it, you don't have to go and learn all these skills. You pick them up in the last decade. And like you said, all the technology, everything's there and people totally know what to do and how to use those things. Now they just feed them right into their stack profile and boom, it's done. It's not, my name is Jim and I like walks on the beach and right. Yeah. And I've heard from a lot of people in Gen Z is that they have just as many videos on their phone as you and I would have images. So to them, they live in that video first world already. And it is that more natural that you get to know someone a little bit better or more authentically than what your static images would show. Yeah, totally more authentic, more genuine for sure. And so you saw this opportunity. You're like, oh my gosh, this is what needs to happen. Where did you take it from there? What's the next step? You just lay away thinking about it. You go run and find an investor. What's that? Because you have a bit of history in another dating app, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. I spent 10 years in the dating space. We got acquired by Match.com. And then I stuck around for three years and got to work with Tinder and OkCupid and learned a lot from being exposed to all those different dating apps and dating companies. And to be honest, the first thing I did was call as many people I knew in the industry as possible and say, talk me out of this. Really? I know how hard the dating industry is. I know how much effort and energy it takes to become successful. And there's very few companies that have become successful. There's thousands of dating apps out there for people that have tried to create them. And there's only a couple of names that you actually use on a daily basis or regular basis. So I knew how hard it would be. And when I made the rounds and I called all these people in the industry, they actually said, no, this is a good idea. You need to do it, which isn't what I was expecting. I said, I'm so bearish of the industry. Talk me out of it. Yeah. And they all reaffirmed what I've been thinking and my hypothesis around video first. So I still thought about it and I gave myself a deadline and I said, okay, if by this date, you're either in or you're out, you can't keep being on this fence. And that date came and I still couldn't stop thinking about it. And I couldn't stop talking about it. And I said, okay, that means that I need to jump in. So I said, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to raise some capital. And that was March, 2020. So of course, COVID. Yes, yes. We (laughs) all remember March, 2020. Yeah. And I think a lot of us would like to forget about it, but March, 2020 happened. So I was planning on going down to the Valley and raising capital in March. And I postponed that. Most VCs at the time were trying to figure out what was going to happen with the portfolio companies. Nobody really knew what this new pandemic meant. So I paused it. I took the summer to really think about it again and said, okay, going through that process, are you in or are you out again now that you have all this knowledge around COVID? And it actually made me want to double down on it because you saw the growth in TikTok. You saw the growth of online dating apps. And I said, okay, no, like I'm even more convinced than ever. So I ran out and raised capital in September, in September and raised some money. Sorry, so you took summer off, completely validated everything that you thought. It just actually made that decision even stronger. Mm -hmm. In September, you went out and started to raise capital. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And then we raised in about three weeks and it was a really short process. People were really excited, I think, about the idea. Also with my background, and it's not an easy process for anyone who's listening to this. Don't expect three weeks to be the norm. Part of it is that I had worked in dating before. I had the experience. I think my idea and hypothesis around video first really sat well with VCs. And so it was an easy round for me to raise. And then we hired the team, we built the app and we launched at the end of February, beginning of March. Wow. Wow. A really tight timeline. So it's been about four months. Really now, four tight, months? like yeah. really tight. Yeah. But that's that whole uh, opportunity meets preparation thing. Like you've got all the skill sets and knowledge, like you got all the, you had all the stuff you needed and then the opportunity presents itself and you're actually ready to just step into that role, even though you, you probably didn't even know until that, that came up, that was something that you'd even consider. And uh, you're able to just get that done, like lightning speed. Holy smokes. Yeah. Well, I also am a firm believer in launching MVP, launch something that is very basic, see how people use it and then adapt from there. Right. So a lot of people want to make sure that all the bells and whistles are in place and that they have everything perfect. And I am the opposite mentality of, I know it's not going to be perfect, but if I take the next three or four months to make it perfect and launch it and then see that people aren't using it the way I was expecting, we're going to have to unwind some of that. Yeah. So I got it out early and we learned a lot and we're able to adapt it because of what we learned and we're still adapting it. I wouldn't say even as it stands today, it's not perfect and we're nowhere near where I would like to see the end product be, but that's the brilliance of technologies. 
continue to evolve and grow and continue to learn and change things. Exactly. Yeah. We were talking about this on a previous show, how much that desire for perfection actually holds people back, like trying to get it perfect, get all the bells and ribbons and everything perfect is what actually holds back the process. And if you can get it to 80% of perfect and then just do it and then work on the other 20% as you go, you can just be so much further ahead. Then that's what what really holds people back. And also the things that 20% you thought mattered might not actually matter. There might be a feature that you were going to button up to be very perfect. And all of a sudden you realize a couple of weeks in, you're like, oh, no one uses that feature anyways. So you would have wasted a lot of time building that. All that time, all those resources, trying to make that thing perfect that, that you thought everyone wanted and maybe everyone didn't want. Now you have the chance to drop it bare bones and then build it up from the bottom rather than trying to undo it and, and redo it again. Like you've just dropped that structure down and now you can lay layers on top of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Right on. So the most exciting part of this startup process for you, not the fundraising, hiring the team. Is it the brainstorming? Is it the working out the kinks? Everyone's got these different processes in their brain. What's their fun points for them? Um, you know what? I've honestly loved all of it so far. We're yeah. at a really, I love the fundraising process. And I know not everyone can yeah. say that, yeah. but I think one piece of advice I give to founders when I talk to them is, I viewed this as an opportunity. Like when else do you get so many smart people with different backgrounds and perspectives thinking about your product and what you're building for half an hour and giving you their undivided attention for you to learn from them. And because I took that perspective is even though I got a no from someone, to me, I got to learn something and figure something out or validate my idea even further. And that's why I think I really enjoyed the process because it wasn't all about how do I get the money? I need the money. It was how do I make sure that I'm learning and I'm taking in information as I go? Yeah, And so that process was enjoyable for me. Yeah, and it wasn't I, either I'm going to be accepted or rejected. There wasn't this thing. It was just, what am I going to get? What can I learn from this? Where's the growth opportunity here? Exactly. And yeah. then building the team and building the product. Like it's exciting to get to the point where you're like, we finally released it. And then six weeks in, we had our first success couple. And we were like, yeah. there's like, pretzels, which is our logo flying around everywhere on Slack. And the whole team is excited and fun and enjoying it because that ultimately is why we're here is we're wanting to help people find their person and make and create a relationship, whatever that relationship might be for you. And I think it's really important that we celebrate those moments. And it was one of those like six weeks in, holy crap, like this is actually happening. And so we continue to try to celebrate those moments. I remember thinking back to my previous role I love that first 12, 15 people in the company and how close yeah. of a bond you build with them and how you really get to know someone intimately because you are so tight and you spend so much time together. Yeah. And I think too often we're striving for that next step and that next level and that next hiring growth and the next 30 people. And you never get these moments back where you're 12 people or right now we're 15, where you're 15 people, um, we're only going to grow from here. So I'm really trying to, relish these moments with the team we have and make sure we're building a great culture and a great team and that'll continue to exceed and excel as we grow but I love this size where it's the communication's a lot easier the team is really bonded and we have just great people yeah and you get to know everyone on a personal level they get to know you you really know each other's strengths and like say you're building you don't want to skimp on the concrete or the foundation right like you exactly. want to make a sucker firm so when you add to it it'll hold all those stories someday you want it to be really solid and and it's like that 
present future thing. Don't want to spend your time in the future when the present is right here and you're going to miss it by actually sitting here and enjoying this time and really valuing it for what it is. I think you're uh, you're way ahead of a lot of people that are already just like, what are we going to do next year? Not that you're not visionary, you're not looking ahead, but to be able to just sit and go, wow, this is so freaking awesome. We've oh. got this team. We know each other so well. We can celebrate these things. And you don't get that back. You never yeah. get to go back to this moment. Yeah. Hopefully you don't. Hopefully you don't start having to downsize, but you never get to that, to come back to this moment in time and appreciate the people and what you're building. And yes, we're absolutely thinking ahead, but really taking in these moments and just knowing that it's never going to be this again. Yeah. It's even like watching a child go as a parent. Now my kids are older and older and I keep thinking, man, I wish I just sat in those moments when they were little more because I can never get those back. It's kind of the same thing with it. Absolutely. It is your baby. Like it is your baby as a founder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like even growing, we grew from seven people to 15 people in the last couple of months. And you yeah. see the dynamic that changes as a result of that. And so just wanting to sit in the moment and really take it in. Yeah. Now, when you say our first success couple, what does that mean? Like, how do you define a success couple? So obviously they met on the app. They met on the app. Like, how do you find out they are even like, do they email you? Like, how do you even just a picture of them? Oh, I'm so happy you helped us meet on snack. And we asked if we could go public with it because we were all so excited and they declined, which we oh. respect. But at yeah. the same time, it was just it was just one of those special moments. And we have heard some inklings of other people that are currently in relationships that have met on Snack, but no one's quite willing to go public with it yet. So oh my gosh. I can't wait till we have that moment in that day. We're like, you are our first one we can talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because that's what it's really ultimately all about, right? Like you say, that's all. That's what you're all there for is to you know help people create joy in their lives and, and find those relationships. So exactly. to have the proof come back to you and say, oh my gosh, we're on, we're doing this something right. That's um, exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So obviously that's one of the most exciting things for you is getting that validation, that feedback, and you like all the parts of the process. What about the pain points? The What have been the those points that where you just like, oh, I just really got to dig in here. This is tough. I think it's one of those things where decreasing velocity as you scale. So you're used to the team being able to perform at a certain level, but then of course you start hiring more people. So that takes time. And then you're training people and then that takes time. And then now you start realizing there's a level of management and it's just rethinking the processes you had and adapting them because you are a different company now. I think that would be a pain point that we've gone through in the last couple of months and we're still going through what processes do we need? How do we get our velocity back up to what we had? And we're starting to see that now as people are two months into their new roles. Yeah. It's a bit of learning and you have yeah. to be okay with that. But you're like, okay, we've doubled the team. We should be able to go twice as fast. It's yeah, you can. It actually slows you down initially, right? Yeah. It really does. Yeah. It does, which is hard as a startup. You're like, you want to keep racing forward. You just have to be patient and say, okay. And also, I very much believe that COVID has a, had a massive impact on people. And as we are slowly coming out of it, we need to be mindful of the fact that people do want to go out and explore and they do want to go and have a bit more fun and they do want to be around their friends and their family. So how do we create space for that? Yeah. So speaking of COVID, do you have a remote team? Are you guys in a bill? Like, how are you, how, how did you handle it through COVID for one thing, starting to try to build a team remotely and B, have you moved to in-person? Do you have plans to like, how does that actually look like with your team? So we're all remote at the moment. Okay. The whole team was hired remote. We had our first team get together about two weeks ago now, a week and a half ago. And that's the first time I'd met a lot of the team in person. Wow. And it was unbelievable to have that moment of 
excitement and curiosity. And we're like, oh my God, you're so much taller than I thought you were. (laughs) Everyone's been the same height on Zoom for however long. Yeah. So the height was just a funny thing that people are like, wow, like you look the same, talk the same. It's just, I'm now having to look up because you're a foot taller than you normally are on Zoom. So we do, we're hoping to have plans to have an office and have some type of a hybrid opportunity for people to come into the office, but it's not a requirement. Some of the teams based in Ontario, most of the team is in BC. So just trying to keep things so that everyone feels like they get to participate and are a part of the company too is important and that you're not excluding people that might be remote. That is funny. In fact, at our office, I had someone that's worn a mask this whole time and I saw them somewhere without a mask. I didn't even know that they had a beard. I'm like, for so we actually had our first family get together last night in like ever since this whole thing started. And it was just it's just a real feeling to just be around all these people that you used to spend every weekend with and you haven't seen for 18 months or whatever is very strange. So I'm sure you'll look forward to a lot more of those uh, get togethers and things. So from inspiration to action, um, getting that ball rolling from having the idea, obviously you said you sat with it for a while to make sure you asked people to talk you out of it, which I think is brilliant rather than asking people to talk you into it. And then to get that ball, like to get that momentum for yourself, how did you go from thinking about it to doing it? The first step was raising capital. So immediately I started reaching out and putting feelers out to people around who would join the team if we got capital. At the same time as putting together my list of, okay, here's who I do want to go and get capital from. Yeah. So that when I was going out to fundraise, I'd say, and here's who I believe is joining the team. I didn't know 100% because until the money was in the bank, I didn't want anyone to leave their full-time roles where they had solid roles that, especially during COVID, that I didn't want them to risk any of that. So it wasn't until we'd actually closed the round that I said, okay, great. Now you can join. And then what are the roles? So that's how it all started. Yeah. Such a chicken egg thing, right? Like it's like you get the investor and then hire the people, but you kind of need to know who you're going to hire before you can get the investor. And it feels like there's all these little moving pieces this whole time, but that's, um, so that's how you did it. You tentatively hired people, but didn't actually promise them or guarantee them a job until you had the funding. I had these open conversations with them and just said, I don't want to bring you on until I have funding because I do have concerns and that say we aren't able to get it, or it takes us a little bit longer. I don't want you to leave your role and not have a steady stream of income. Like everyone has families to support and I think it's, we're all humans at the end of the day. And I think they respected the fact that I was honest with them and that I was keeping them up to date in terms of where I was at in the timelines. And okay, this has been signed. Here's how long it's going to take to go through legal. And then here's when I expect the money to be in the bank. And so that they were all aware and everyone knew when they were going to be starting. And it was about mid-November, but it wasn't until the first check at the bank that they actually resigned and said, okay. Here, I'm joining yeah. Snack. <laughs> yeah, but you were fully transparent with with everyone Absolutely. all the way through, which is great. And how hands-on has your involvement been? Like there's a difference between a developer, a designer, the, the person that gets the funding, and I'm talking from a total neophyte here, so I'm probably even not even using the right terms. But obviously you're not actually a programmer, so but you can draw the big picture. This is what I want. This is where I want to go. Like how does that, those conversations happen with the people that are actually developing the app? I know enough, I oversaw product in my previous role. So I know enough about how things work from a programming perspective. I write my own SQL queries so I can go into the database. I can see what's happening. I know what's missing or I know what needs to be added. Or it also allows me to help troubleshoot in terms of how to make something easier to accomplish. Because I said, oh, if you just do X, Y, Z, wouldn't that get the same thing? And I can ask the right questions as a result of it. And then I'm very hands-on from a product and a marketing perspective. And it's how do we take this 
baby and this brainchild and get it out of my head and onto paper and then into an app. So I work with our head of design quite closely and saying, here's one of the ideas and like putting them all down. Okay. And then, and trying to do more broad strokes and give them the autonomy to run with some ideas. And then in certain places saying, no, this is a very specific idea. And here's why I think we need to do it this way. Yeah. And just giving them the context as to where it came from. Yeah. I and mean, often it's getting inspiration from other apps that are already out there. Yeah. And giving them the why always helps when you're just going to do this because it, it never makes sense. But when you can say, this is actually why this needs to be like this, but you've got freedom with this and giving them that context, like you say, helps them. And I think there's certain more. features or certain ideas that it's more critical mm-hmm. versus other ideas where you're like, yeah, sure. Have latitude. Go for it. Go yeah. figure it out. So that's, I think it's finding that balance of what are the critical pieces that you absolutely need to give input on and others that you could just say, yeah, run with it. Yeah. Let's get a little bit, a little bit fun. Talk about creative videos. What's like, what's the most funnest, most creative video you've seen or. Oh, the best idea. I haven't seen this one yet, but the best yeah. idea I heard of actually came from a matchmaker Maria. And she said, you know what I would do, Kim? She said, I would sit in front of a camera with a loaf of bread and a tomato and I'd be slicing a tomato and some cheese. And I'd look into the camera and say, what do you want on your sandwich? And I love that. And I think the reason I love that, it's not just that video example, is that you're providing somebody else a really easy opportunity to engage with you. And anytime you can give them that jumping off point to make it that much easier for them to message you or to come up with what to say to you first, you're helping them through that process. So you're more likely to get that engagement in return. So that video is a great example of one where it's very easy to be like, oh, I want to put some ham on my sandwich or I want to put some mortadella or whatever it might be. And that's the kind of fun component of it because that starts the conversation of, you like mortadella? Like who likes mortadella? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like those social media posts where it's an open-ended question and you get all these responses because everyone wants to give their answer. You're seeking that out. You're saying, talk to me. versus just posting a video of you sitting there staring at a camera. You're not giving the person anything to really say in return. So anytime you can provide the context of maybe it's you going on a hike and you're saying, hey, my favorite hike or showing off your animal, just something that can easily spark that conversation. Those are the videos that I think um, are the most successful. Yeah, you're opening the door to, to something else. You're leaving open that invitation and giving people something to talk about. What would your biggest advice be for someone that has a vision for something that they just don't know where to start? Talk to people. I think too many founders are afraid that if they share their idea, someone's going to take it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's about execution. Yeah. So if you're afraid to tell someone about your idea, then you're probably going to be afraid to create it, if that makes sense. You have to be okay with believing that there's some secret sauce and magic in what you're doing and who you are that's going to make this more successful than anybody else out there. Because chances are somebody already has that idea and is already trying to execute on it. Yeah, for sure. In terms of, like you said, you've started with the basics, you're adding new stuff. Do you have anything new and exciting you want to tell us that you've, any new changes you've made along the way or things that you have coming up? Uh, the, the biggest things that we're working on at the moment are really providing more tools to help people easily create videos. So prompts and ways of saying, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. That's easy enough because that is the biggest barrier. That video kind of, the extra barrier that video adds, yeah. and that's a little bit more complex than a photo, in some ways weeds out the people that are have a lower intent of actually dating. So you get rid of all the looky-loos who could have just uploaded their one image and start yeah. swiping through everyone. And, and so this kind of raises the barrier. 
but by raising that barrier, you're also making it more challenging for people uh, because they're like, well, I don't know what to do in a video. I don't know what to say or what kind of this experience should be like. So how do we provide tools so that it's really easy for you to know what to create? Yeah. And interesting you say that about raising the barrier on a previous show. I had a company called Hired in Seven Days and they do this thing where they look at resumes last and they put obstacles into their hiring process, not tricks, but just obstacles so that they weed out the people that just drop the resume on every single site that haven't even read the job description kind of thing. And so they funnel it down and they get rid of all the spam applications. Then they move to the next level and then they'll put in another obstacle, which kind of helps them figure out how qualified they actually are. So like your video is almost an obstacle, but in a good way, right? Like you're weeding out the people that are just want to just throw up a photo and walk away that actually really don't want to make a genuine connection or really aren't interested in something deeper. They just want to gather up as many phone numbers as they can. This is probably too much work for those people, but the people that actually care about it, they're going to be all on, on this because they get to show who they are. They get to be authentic. And I think uh, on our part, it's how do we just make it easier? How do we Make it so that you don't have to sit there and think for a couple of minutes as to what to create. We just provide you those, oh, that's easy. I can do that. Or no, I'd prefer to do that one. Or maybe I'll do this one today. So that and inspiration is so that you're not just yeah. sitting there going, oh, I don't know what to say today. I don't know what to do. It's at least you're going to do the work to show up here and make the video, but we're going to give you some prompts and some ideas and some stuff that that it's almost like those warm-up games at a party where you get I, people and I you love get that questions. Term, <laughs> and I love that term inspiration. Because that's yeah. exactly what it is. How do we inspire you to create a great video to show off you? And that is our job. Yeah. So is there going to be some video editing tools in there as well, like filters and things? Or is it going to be... We're trying to refrain from filters because it goes against that whole idea of being authentic. But absolutely, you can edit your videos. You can add text to them. You can add some flair and some stickers. But we really are trying to at least refrain from the beautification filters. Yeah, because totally. that kind of gets away from what we're trying to do with yeah video. exactly you're trying to be your real self asking people to be their real self so in terms of demographics i assume because it's video based and not based on tiktok but that's your inspiration that it's going to be a younger demographic this that demographic that's really video savvy that communicates that way that's less into static images is that correct that's absolutely it. we are going after the kind of the tiktok generation 18 to 25 year olds but we are seeing people in their 30s. We are seeing people in their 70s sign up. Yeah. Now, there's not many of them, so they yeah. don't have a ton of people to match with. But I would say our core demographic is probably 18 to 30, just as TikTok is aging up and older people are becoming more used to the technology and used to creating videos. We're seeing our audiences doing the same. How hard is it for someone that's maybe never made a TikTok video to jump onto your app and to figure out how to post, how to make a post? It's not hard. It's video and general is easy. It's more getting comfortable putting yourself out there on video. And so that's where those prompts and those inspirations help is because you're saying, oh, I can do that. That's easy. And versus sitting there just staring at yourself in a camera going, well, how do I do a selfie video? So that's the key that we're trying to solve for is just showing you some quick ideas, some prompts that makes you feel like it's less of a burden and that you don't have to think through what to do because that's the first step is you get in your own way. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm not going to look good on camera. I don't know how to look good on camera. So how do we make you feel more comfortable? And that's showing you examples as well as prompting you. Awesome. Lots of great information today. I think we've covered everything I wanted to cover. Uh, did you have anything you want to tell us about? Anything that's coming up? Any? Definitely. Anything? You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, uh-huh. Twitter. Our handles get Snack App. 
as well as download us in the iTunes store, Snack Video Date. Rate us five stars. Tell us how much you love us, of course. For sure. (laughs) All that stuff. Yeah, and you're going to be able to find all that stuff in the show notes too. It sounds just super fun and I'm already hearing about it everywhere. Like I'm seeing it in the news. I'm hearing it on people's social media. You're doing a great job of getting the word (laughs) out there. And uh, I think it's just super exciting. I wish it was around when I was in my 20s, but I think that people are just getting savvier and I think your demographics just going to keep going up. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to talk with you. Yeah, you bet. That's it for this week. To get more information on any of my guests or to book me as a speaker at your next event, please visit jugglingwithoutballs.ca. And you would totally make my day if you left me a review or you sent me an email at monica at jugglingwithoutballs.ca and let me know what you got out of this week's episode. I'm hoping to read some of those reviews and some of those emails on future episodes. Have a great week, jugglers. 